Hello and welcome to Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and this week our podcast is focusing on the Pandora Papers, the massive leak of financial documents that allegedly ties 27 EU politicians and global figures. Who was on the list and what were the reactions? We are also talking about the meeting of EU environment ministers in Luxembourg, the topics that fell on the table, the concerns over the energy prices, COP26 and the Fit for 55 climate package. Today I'm joined by Georgi Gotev, Euractiv senior editor, to talk about the Pandora Papers that revealed the wealth of the world's most powerful people. So, Georgi, these papers were leaked on Sunday. How were they leaked and what do they mention? The Pandora Papers are the latest uh, international uh, journalistic uh, investigation uh, based on a massive leak of uh, data. Uh, there have been uh, such leaks before. Um, let me just mention the Lux leaks or the Paradise Papers or the Panama Papers. Uh, it's an established uh, practice now uh, that due to the huge uh, volume of uh, the leaked files, journalists uh, get organized uh, to make uh, sense of them. With uh, headquarters in uh, Washington, uh, the International Consortium of uh, Investigative Journalists, which gathers uh, 280 journalists and over 100 media organizations uh, in more than 100 co- countries, uh, usually deal with uh, such uh, leaks, and this was the case. The files uh, have been obtained uh, by the German newspaper Süddeutsche Zeitung, Uh, and most of uh, the files came from uh, Apple B. Uh, it's a leading offshore law firm uh, with offices in Bermuda uh, and also from other similar firms. Now that uh, we have uh, the Pandora papers uh, relieved or the first batch of them because there will be more revelations, uh, we learn what we have already suspected that Among others, uh, high-level politicians, even at the highest level, use uh, tax havens uh, to hide their wealth, uh, which often cannot be explained. Uh, 336 politicians have been identified uh, under the Pandora Papers, uh, including 27 from EU member states. And which are the names that interest us the most? The Consortium of Journalists appears to focus the most on Czech Prime Minister Andrei Babish and on the King of Jordan, Abdullah, also the President of Gabon, Ali Bongo, the President of Kenya, Uhuru Kenyatta, the President of Congo, Denise Sungeso. In Europe, uh, they also focus on former UK Prime Minister Tony Blair, the President of Cyprus, Nikos Anastasiades, the president of Montenegro, Milo Djukanovic, the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Georgia, Bidzina Ivanishvili, um, the president of Azerbaijan, Ilham Aliyev, a woman believed to be the lover of Vladimir Putin, um, the minister of finance of the Netherlands, uh, his name is uh, Wopke Hoekstra, the minister of uh, finance of Serbia, Sinisha Mali, uh, a Bulgarian media mogul, Delian Pevsky, among others. And, you know, not every country uh, reacts in its own way. 
I mentioned uh, Paevsky. In Bulgaria, there is a lot of interest uh, around him because uh, over the last year, he has become the symbol of a mafia type of system which depletes the country of the public money to the profit of people like him. And I noticed that in other countries, there have been less reactions. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Prime Minister Babish, and it's not the first time that his name is connected to corruption. Uh, a couple of months ago, I had an interview with uh, Aneta Zahova from uh, Euraktiv Czechia, who was actually explaining uh, the reasons behind it. Indeed. Uh, so it's not a surprise. Uh, by the way, I'm a journalist and I wasn't surprised by any of the names. But uh, for me, it's disturbing that leaders of um, several countries which want to join the EU are highlighted. I'm referring to Ukraine, uh, Georgia, Montenegro, Serbia. What does it mean for the political status, uh, the fact that they were mentioned in the papers? I doubt that there will be a big impact, uh, but in general, I'm skeptical. Uh, you know, these people either uh, deny the revelations or uh, explain that their links to tax havens uh, were in a period uh, when they were not holding public office and so on. Mm-hmm. And I assume there were reactions on national and European level. What were these reactions and do you think there will be any action taken? The leaks came at a very bad moment uh, for uh, the European Union because EU finance ministers... Uh, took three countries out of the EU blacklist of the tax havens. And they ignored the advice of the European Parliament. So uh, uh, the members of Parliament uh, held a session at short notice. They were very angry. They harshly criticized uh, the member states for this laissez-aller. Uh, some said, uh, what can you expect uh, from member states when acting prime ministers, we already mentioned Babish, and ministers uh, such as the Dutch minister, uh, Hoekstra, are taking advantage of uh, tax havens. Can we really assume that they will uh, do something serious about tax haven? The members of parliament mentioned uh, proposals uh, to... Uh, rain in tax evasion, evasion and uh, money laundering in the future. Uh, in particular, Green and Social Democrat politicians said they wanted uh, the blacklist to include more countries. Uh, there was an interesting statement by Radoslav uh, Sikorski, a Polish uh, MEP from the EPP, well-known name, a former Polish uh, foreign minister. He was much more radical. He asked uh, uh, the Commission why the EU could not make it legal uh, for European companies and citizens to uh, to make it illegal uh, to hold accounts in blacklisted countries. In terms of reaction, the Commission was initially very cautious. Uh, During the debate, uh, Economic Commissioner Paolo Gentiloni uh, announced that uh, the Commission would present uh, before the end of uh, the year a legislative proposal to fight the use of shell companies to avoid taxes. So let's see that. And uh, in contrast, uh, the U.S. uh, said that they would look uh, carefully into the investigation. Well, thank you, Georgi, for joining me today.
You can find your actives beyond the byline podcast in our podcast newsletter. Subscribe to it on youractive.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our digital brief podcast and agri-food brief podcast. And now traveling to Luxembourg and meeting Euractiv's energy and environment reporter Kira Taylor, we will talk about the meeting of the EU ministers. Kira, what was the meeting about? Uh, the environment ministers from across Europe were meeting in Luxembourg. Um, it's one of the big meetings of the year. Uh, on the agenda was COP26, so some conclusions for the climate summit in Glasgow in November. Um, and also their opinion on the Fit for 55 climate package put forward in July. That was really important because it's the first time we've really seen them have a meeting all together when they've actually had time to read through everything that the commission put forward. And there were a lot of pages. So I think even now some of them are still kind of scrolling through and, and finding their opinion on it. And last week I had Fred and we talked about the energy prices that are rising across uh, Europe. How did this impact the meeting? Yes, the energy prices weren't originally part of this meeting, but they were added to the agenda by Greece, Poland and Spain. And a lot of other countries gave their input on this. It's clear that every EU country is fairly spooked by these prices and there's a possibility that this could go on for a while. And I think that really is, is putting them on the back foot. So the European Commission is due to put forward a toolbox of measures next week. Uh, we're expecting that to be analysis of the problem and measures which EU countries can take to help alleviate the issues. Um, so in this meeting, it was really just countries putting forward their opinion on it and maybe saying some measures, but really they're all waiting for this toolbox. Um, we're also beginning to see some countries blaming the emissions trading scheme for this price hike. Uh, while it's true that the price of carbon on the ETS has been rising, the Commission is clear that it has a small impact compared to the gas price. Um, but one thing we did see was the energy prices completely overshadowing the discussion on Europe's Fit for 55 climate package. I mean, like I said, that was going to be one of the key points of this meeting, but barely a single country got through their intervention on Fit for 55 without mentioning these energy prices. So it's really beginning to be a bit of a stumbling block for this discussion on climate action in the EU. Mm -hmm. And what were different EU countries' approach uh, for the Fit for 55 uh, climate package? I think we saw a huge amount of concern about the planned extension of the emissions trading scheme to cover buildings and road transport. Almost every EU country was against this idea. They're citing concerns particularly around energy poverty and um, this new ETS increasing the levels of energy poverty in Europe. Um, later, I asked the European Commission what they were going to do to persuade EU countries to get on board with this. Commissioner Sinkovicius went back to the climate law, so these countries have signed up to cut emissions, and this is how the Commission is proposing that they do it. They propose that they do increase the number of sectors in the ETS. Um, and this package can't really be agreed without the ETS, so somehow they do need to get these countries on board. And I think at the moment they are still just very much defending it, but there's not that line of communication as to why it's the best idea. There was also, oh, sorry. 
Uh, there was also discussion around forestry. So several EU countries are concerned by what they call a lack of balance in the forest strategy that the Commission also put forward in July. Uh, they want to see a larger focus on the role of bioeconomy, so foresters and forest products. And they can't really change the strategy, but they will have a say over the implementation of it. So that's really something that we'll watch and see where that dispute goes. Environment ministers also finalized their stance for COP26. What does this mean going into COP? Well, firstly, it means that Europe will go in with a unified position. That wasn't the case at the beginning of the week. A few countries led by Poland were blocking the conclusions because they were concerned about what are called uh, common timeframes. So these common timeframes are where countries that have signed up to the Paris Agreement agree to a review of their climate action um, every uh, X number of years. Um, So it's wanted to be every five years, but Europe currently does it every 10 Um, so those countries that were blocking it came on board with that five-year um, common timeframe um, agreement, but with a minor loophole. So they've agreed to the five-year timeframe as long as it's agreed by everyone else. If not, then it's not binding on the EU level, which, I mean, it's good that they got that agreement, but also it's not the strongest negotiating stance because it's basically saying, well, well, we will do it, but also everyone else needs to do it. So it's going to be interesting to see how other countries react to that in November. Well, thank you, Kira, and our time is up for this week. I am Evikiori, and this was your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, subscribe to our podcast newsletter and visit youractive.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening.